Hey everybody, welcome to the Crush Hail Academy podcast. I'm your host, Bob Argyle. I appreciate you being with us today. So this is my origins podcast. This is my first ever podcast. And I have a couple reasons for doing this. And I figured in the future, I want to keep my podcast short and sweet, about 30 minutes long. We'll talk about a topic Um, We'll talk about, um, it could be in business, it could be in personal life, it could be in a number of different areas of our lives. And I want to talk about an issue and then we're going to extract a lesson out of that and see how that might apply to our business. And that's pretty much the, the crux of this podcast. So my business focuses on body shop owners, um, collision shop professionals, uh, insurance adjusters. Um, That's my target market. Um, Paintless dent repair has been something that I've enjoyed now for 21 years. It's my passion. I love everything about paintless dent repair. But what I'm passionate about is how my services provide a huge benefit to collision shops. And I feel like we haven't done a good job. I feel like my industry, if I'm being honest, has done a terrible job of communicating our message to the body shop industry. Um, And I felt what better way to get my message into the marketplace was than through this podcast. So over the last five or six years, we've seen some really cool, we've seen like this transformation in our industry. Uh, For a long time, we were the guys that made too much money We were the hail gypsies, the carnival workers. I've heard it all. And there's still an element of that today in our industry. We have some shady characters (laughs) in our business. But what I've witnessed take place recently has been pretty remarkable. We've seen a distinct shift from the guys that just wanted to keep things the same didn't really want to embrace change. Um, They've kind of been set out to pasture by this new group of technician that recognized that change was definitely needed in our industry. So we're talking about a group of guys that chose to level up. They chose to be more professional. And it's literally given birth to this movement within our business where it's all about training now and mentoring and unifying. We're seeing all sorts of seminars and trade shows, uh, Facebook groups, video tutorials, podcasts. You know, we've made incredible advancements in our tooling and our lighting systems. So we're fixing uh, a lot heavier damage nowadays. So we've got all these tools and we've got all this training for the technician that wants to up his game and wants to provide a higher quality repair to his clients, which is awesome for body shops. It's awesome for you guys because PDR technicians today are able to bring a higher level, I guess, of skill than they were even a few short years ago. But the problem that I identified and the reason for this podcast is that all this support, all this content that's out there online right now, seems to me to be largely uh, created by technicians for other technicians. 
even most of the Facebook groups, right, are very exclusive. And adjusters and shop owners that want to get into these groups and start learning about hail management, quite frankly, you're denied access to any of those methods. And honestly, I wouldn't recommend some of those Facebook groups as a source of information. Um, outsiders are usually not welcomed because techs feel like it's still 1980 and they're paranoid about letting out their, their trade secrets. But, you know, so many of these groups aren't very positive, I guess is what I'm getting to. Um, I've seen folks from outside of our industry with legitimate questions about paintless dent repair literally get torn to shreds in these groups. It's crazy. So I don't even go into these groups because it's, it's just not a productive thing. So for a shop owner, where do you go for training? Say you're a small shop owner out in, I don't know, a small Midwestern body shop, okay? Maybe you've had a bad experience with a hail company and you're just looking to see what your options are. You're looking to do better next time. Maybe you've used a hail company for a lot of years and you've got a good relationship and the hail experience is always okay, but you're curious about what other options are. You're curious about what other companies are doing in today's marketplace, what they're bringing to the table. So that's why I started this podcast. I want to inform body shop professionals of what really quality hail management looks like in 2019. So that's really the reason why. So next, who am I? So I have a mentor, Garrett J. White, and he tells a story about back in the beginning uh, when he was starting his business, he was struggling, and he started to figure some things out. And the more he figured out, the more it kind of dawned on him that a lot of the stuff he was learning could help men all over the world. And he had this kind of internal conflict that was going on. You know, why me? Who am I to start communicating this message to the world? And the quote that he, he said in the training really stuck with me. And he asked himself a question. He asked himself, if not me, then who? And that really resonated with me. I have such a passion for this industry and I think, again, we've just done such a poor job of communicating with our best client that somebody has to carry the torch. Somebody has to start the conversation. Somebody has to open doors for body shop owners and insurance adjusters um, that really want to take a new approach to paintless dent repair and they want to understand it better. So if not me, then who? So that's pretty much my inspiration for this podcast. So a little about me. I've been in the business, like I said, for 21 years. Um, it's been quite an adventure. In my time, I've learned a lot of valuable lessons, some very expensive lessons. <laughs> but think back to my first experience, or the first, I guess, time that I heard about paintless dent repair. So I was fresh out of college. Uh, I didn't have much going on. My father, at the time, owned a little tavern down in my hometown of Cortland, New York, and I enjoyed helping him with his business. And if I could make a little extra tip, uh, tip money, and if I could look at pretty women, <laughs> then it seemed like a win-win. So the thing about my father's bar is it's always very busy at night, but through the day, it's, it's very slow. So 
this summer day, I'm just sitting there at the bar, just me, <laughs> my thoughts in the jukebox. And all of a sudden I see this red Corvette pull up in front. And I remember thinking, who the heck is this guy? Because Cortland's a pretty small town, so we just didn't see too many high-dollar sports cars driving around. <laughs> so I sit there, I wait for him to get out of his car, and in walks a familiar face. I actually recognized him from high school. He graduated a couple years ahead of me. Um, I obviously wasn't busy. So as he sat there having a drink, we struck up a conversation, and he started telling me about this business that he was in. And I remember how I was just instantly intrigued. He had stories of traveling around the country and making good money. And for a young kid like me who had never really left my hometown, uh, it was captivating. I mean, I was hooked and I needed to hear more. So I made him promise that he would put me in touch with his hiring manager, which he did. And two months later, I found myself out in St. Louis, Missouri, training. And I was learning the art of paintless dent repair. And looking back now, it was probably one of the hardest things that I'd ever done. The training class required me to be away from my family for two months and then included another six months of training somewhere else in the country with a corporate trainer. I had no idea where. I just knew that if I was lucky enough to pass this course, I would then be shipped off to another market around the country and I would work with somebody else for another six months to kind of learn the business. So it was new for me. It was the first time I'd ever been away from home. And the next two months, they were tough, but looking back now, it was one of the most important times in my life. I mean, it was the first time that I'd ever learned about managing my funds, first time that I'd ever learned about budgeting my finances. Um, and it was a chance to get out and see the country and spread my wings a bit. And this was really the beginning of a pretty incredible journey for me. So fast forward a few years, I found myself living in Albany, New York. Uh, I was newly married, had a young daughter. My daughter Dylan was probably only, I don't know, maybe six months at the time. And I had managed to work my way up the ranks with this company, Dent Wizard. Everybody's heard of Dent Wizard. They're a household name in the business, but that's, that's where I started. So I managed to work my way up. In five short years, I'd been relocated to five different markets. And I honed my craft. And I learned the business. And I, as a young man, I really didn't mind moving. Because I loved the excitement that these new assignments brought me. And in my short time there, I think they'd already had me in, let's see, Nashville, Tennessee, uh, Charlotte, North Carolina, well, Rochester. I lived in Rochester for a while. I lived in Syracuse for a while. And then I had eventually ended up out in Albany, New York as a sales manager. And I had six techs under me, six technicians. Had a nice salary, had a new house, a job that I enjoyed. So it was good. But one of the most fulfilling things for me was training and bringing new technicians up in our business. See, most of the guys working for us back then, they didn't have the fancy college degrees like me. They were blue-collar guys like me, came from small towns. They were just looking for an opportunity. And this opportunity was literally changing lives. 
And I felt a responsibility to take care of my technicians. They committed to us. So my commitment to them was to put as much work in front of them as possible. And this is, re- this is really where I cut my teeth. It's where I got my chops. It's where I learned how to sell. I learned how to prospect, knocking on doors. Um, and I did everything I had to do to keep work in front of them. I wanted to, to, as long as they wanted to work, I wanted to make sure they had the opportunity. It was a commission business. But up until that point, really, my only experience with paintless dent repair was within the dealer market, right? That's what I was trained in. So that's all I knew. And although I made my living in the dealer arena, we had always heard about these hail guys, this elite team of hail guys. And for local route technicians like us, these hail guys were literally larger than life. These were the guys that our company would call in after a hail event. Uh, They were the experts. They had the specialized skill. For us, they were kind of like the Navy SEALs. (laughs) They made the big bucks. They'd get the call. They'd kiss their wife and kids goodbye and then spring into action and descend on an affected community somewhere in the country and fix hail cars and change the world. And (laughs) it was pretty cool, right? So we had always heard about these guys, but personally, I'd never really met any. I didn't know any of them. So my first experience, though, with hail was 2007. And Johnstown, New York had a major hailstorm roll through and every dealership in town had damage. So it was a big storm. And Johnstown was part of my market. So I did what I was trained to do. As soon as the storm came through, I immediately reached out to all of our clients, uh, assessed their needs, and I had to report back to my superior. So the word that I got back was that hell guys were en route, um, but my team would be needed to, I guess, hold down the fort until reinforcements arrived. And what my superior told me that at that time, he said, look, uh, for your efforts, you're going to be given all the extra work you can handle, which was awesome. That was good for me. That was good for my guys. We still had route obligations. So we just wanted a seat at the table, right? My guys wanted a chance to work on hail and make extra money. So I was good with the, the I guess, the response that I got from my superior. So he asked me to reach out to all the other managers in New York and get as many technicians to town as possible. Until this hail team showed up, we needed to hold down the fort. We needed to stake our claim. We needed to plant our flag because hail companies were coming from all over the country and they were vying for this business. So I did it. And over the next couple days, I coordinated emergency repairs. I dealt with dealership management. I communicated with the hail division. Uh, I was even making hotel arrangements for all the techs that were coming into town. And over the next couple days, techs began showing up and we began working on hail cars. And we were handling the deliveries, you know, cars that were promised already to customers, they took priority. So we were largely fixing uh, deliveries and making sure that the dealers could still get the cars out on time. And it was a lot of work, long hours. But it was okay with my crew and me because seeing the smiles on the tech's faces, I mean, knowing that they had an opportunity to earn extra income for their families, that they were stoked. And so was I. So we worked that first week, um, 
let's see. And then I, yeah, so I show up at the hotel after, this was a Friday afternoon. I show up at the hotel. Um, I was going home for the weekend and I show up to the hotel to get my bags and get out of my room. And the thing is, I had a lot of texts that, like I said, I'd brought in from all over the state and they were staying to work through the weekend. And as soon as I walk into that lobby, I see a couple of my techs standing there. And it was obviously that they weren't happy. They were obviously upset about something. As I look closer, I see there were even suitcases. So I knew something was up. Come to find out, the national hail coordinator had flown into town ahead of his hail team. This dude checks out every single one of my technicians. Checked them out of their hotel rooms. Had all their belongings removed. The ball's on this guy, right? Myself included. So as my techs were showing back up to their rooms, they were finding out their belongings were out. I mean, how demeaning is that? Somebody going through your stuff, and all your stuff is just sitting, grouped up, in the lobby of this hotel room. So this hail coordinator could bring in his hail team, his elite guys. I was pissed. And my techs were looking at me to fix this situation. And I was convinced I was going to. I was going to make one phone call to my superior. He was going to get everything straightened away. You know, how dare they do this to us? So I had 15 guys in town. And I called my superior. And I was basically told, sorry, that's how it works. It's like, what? He's like, yeah, sorry. He, you know, he pulled rank. Um, he was even over my superior's head. So there was nothing we could do. Nothing we could do. So I had to sit down with my guys and I had to explain to them why their services were no longer needed and why they had to return to their home markets after they had told their wife and their families that they were, you know, going into this very, this awesome earning opportunity and they were going to make all this extra money. Some guys probably already had it spent, and they were told to go home. And I couldn't fix the issue. And I lost a lot of respect in the eyes of my crew. So after that, I mean, I gave it a lot of thought. I talked to my wife, and we decided my time there was done. I had given, I don't know, 10 years. Um, it was time to move on. I mean, there had been some stuff that had happened up until then. The company was going through this corporate buyout. They were getting bought up by a private equity company. So there were a lot of changes that were already coming down the pike. And as the manager, I did my absolute best to put a positive spin on it. And I did a very good job of that. I was keeping the morale up. Um, I was committed to spending the next 30 years of my life with this company. But this was kind of the final straw. And after this happened, I was like, I just can't continue to invest in a company that will do something like this to its employees. If they'll do it today, they'll do it tomorrow. And it was time for me. That was kind of the kick in the ass that I needed to, to move on, to move into the next chapter of my life. And it was hard. The next few years were tough. I loved fixing dents. I figured I could make a living somewhere. I had this skill, this specialized skill. There were dealerships all over the state. Um, I was going to figure out a way to make it work. Until <laughs> I found out about my non-compete clause. And my non-compete actually kept me from working in New York. So I was kind of screwed. 
So the only other thing that I knew to do was to go on the road and fix hail cars. I mean, I'd just been bitten by this hail bug. So I knew I could fix hail cars. I knew the money was good. Um, I had this skill. I'd figure out a way to make it work. But what I didn't know at that time about the hail business was that basically it's one big, I don't know, good old boys club. So if I didn't have the right contacts to put me to work, good luck. I wasn't breaking in. And although I felt I was highly skilled, I felt I was more than capable by this time. Um, I had zero contacts in the business, in the hail side of things. So I was kind of out of luck. The phone wasn't going to ring. And instead of sitting at home feeling sorry for myself, I mean, I had dug a pretty good hole for myself. I had to make a living for my family. So I decided I wasn't going to wait for that phone call. And I started watching the reports online. You can literally go onto websites and you can see when the hail has hit a community and you can research the community. There's a lot of stuff you can do from home before you even get in the car and drive. Um, so that's what I would start doing. That's what I started to do. And then once I had an area, I'd literally jump in my truck. I'd drive to different parts of the country, knocking on body, ship, body shop doors. Excuse me. And I learned quick. I had to. <laughs> but I found that I really enjoyed the thrill of the hunt. And that surprised me. Because I was never really that type of guy. I didn't like the limelight. So after doing this for a little while, um, there's just something about hopping in my truck and driving to an unknown place with my family's livelihood on the line. Um, you know, it changed me. It changed me into a different type of person. I was always very shy. And I quickly found out that if I was going to have any success doing this, that I, I needed to embrace the suck. I needed to find a way to make it happen. And I spent the next three years working all over the country. I worked in Norman, Oklahoma. Let's see, El Paso, Texas. Um, Des Moines, Iowa. Carbondale, Illinois. Um, you know, I worked all over the place. And I made some good money. Uh, made a lot of contacts in the business. Really learned about that side of the business. Uh, saw the country. Experienced some cool stuff. And it was about this time that I was also able to make one very important contact. And this contact proved to me personally to be life-changing. Um, a friend of mine from my Dent Wizard days had also made the switch to hail chasing a few years prior. And he had been connected to a guy by the name of Ron Witten. And Ron helped him to kind of break into the hail game. And he was like, Bob, you know, Call this guy. Call Ron. See if he can help you out. So I did. And Ron was, so so Ron was the founder, one of the founders of this large Midwestern hail company called DentSmart. Uh, he was one of the first men in the hail game to really take an interest in me when he didn't have to. Um, from the very first call I placed to him, he took time. He took time to explain to me uh, kind of where I was, kind of how, yeah, you kind of dug a hole for yourself. You had a uh, you had a salary job with a nice bonus and a company car, and you were home every night, and tell me again why you're here. So, you know, he took the time to kind of talk me down off the ledge. Um, from that point on, if I ever had a question, I could call him. If I was ever in a pinch, uh, he'd find me work. Um, 
But probably more importantly than that, he taught me just about everything that I know about Hale. And since the day that I met him, he's turned into one of my, well, the most important mentor in this Hale game to me. I mean, he's one of the smartest men in the business. So I'm so lucky that I had gotten a chance to meet Ron. Um, he's had a huge impact on my life. And you'll, you'll hear in a second how he's kind of, you know, how he's affected my life uh, for the better. But uh, getting back to the story. Um, yeah, so this is tough. But unfortunately, all the time that I had, all the time that I had spent away from my wife, on the road, chasing this dream, <laughs> uh, it put a huge strain on our marriage. I'd spend months on the road only to come home and spend my entire downtime trying to repair the damage that I had done from being away. Um, I was disconnected from my kids. Uh, my wife resented me. She resented me for leaving her home by herself with two very young children, which I totally understand. So I would try my best to juggle both worlds, but eventually I just, I got to the point after talking with Lindsay, I realized, look, I need to get off the road. If I don't get off the road quick, this marriage, it's, it's done. Might as well sign the papers. So two years in my, I had a two year non-compete that was up. So I figured there's no better time than now. I was going to go back to New York. I was going to build a small route. I was going to stay close to home. I was going to be home every night. And everything was going to be fine. I was going to figure things out with Lindsay. We were going to fix our marriage. I was going to be more connected with my kids. Uh, everything was going to be great, right? <laughs> but then I found out that my new challenge was going to be that most of the dealers in New York were being serviced by friends of mine. So I'd worked with or trained tax in just about every major market in the state. I knew everybody. And although I needed to make a living... That was tough, man. As far as I was concerned, those accounts, they had to be off limits. There had to be a way for me to make a living without hurting my friends in the process. I had to figure something out. So I thought about it. And it came to me. And I began focusing on an area that most of my friends weren't. Body shops. And I enjoyed working with body shops. Over those three years that I was on the road, you know, I, I came to realize some things about body shops that I really liked. First of all, they tended to be more loyal than dealerships. <laughs> Most body shops tended to be uh, second, third, fourth generation body shops. So I was dealing with family. So if you could get in and you could make a connection, if you could build a relationship, um, it was a safer bet in business for me, in my opinion. Uh, they had less turnover. In the dealers, you'd see it all the time. You'd have a dealership that you relied on for your income. And then they'd have a manager change. And the manager always had another dent guy. <laughs> so you'd get shipped off and they'd bring in his guy. And then you're sitting there saying, okay, I got re to replace this income now. What do I do? Every once in a while, you'd have a manager that came in from one of your other stores that you worked at. So, I mean, it kind of worked out every once in a great while, but more times than not, uh, a manager change was like the death blow <laughs> in the paintless dent repair business. So, um, you know, and the other thing is that I noticed that body shops, they 
just had more of an appreciation for my services than dealers did. I was a commodity to dealers. I was replaceable. So anyways, it seemed like a smart way to build my business. And over the next few years, I began growing my business clients and, and, and it was, it was improving. And that's when I came to an important realization. I loved the hail. I really did. Um, I got off the road for the right reasons, but I started to realize that the more I grew my network of body shops in New York, the better chance I had of landing hail. If I could increase my geographical reach, which is really what it's all about with hail companies, you need contacts across a larger area so you have a better chance of getting hail. And the more area I could cover, the better off I was going to be. So finally, I had a plan. <laughs> finally, I had a plan that showed long-term potential. Um, it was kind of the best of both worlds. I found my niche. I could work with my ideal client. And by building these relationships over a larger geographical area, I didn't necessarily have to give up on the hail. Could work hail when it hit in New York and be home on the weekends and be home for Lindsay and the kids. Um, you know, I, I loved my wife and it, it killed me that my business decisions had taken such a toll on her. You know, my kids were getting to this age where they were starting to have a really hard time with me leaving. I hated saying goodbye to them seeing those faces, and their questions got much better. <laughs> the older they got, they wanted to know, wait a minute, where are you going? Okay, when are you going to be back? Okay, when are you going to call me? I mean, it was tough. It was brutal. So I looked at this new business model as a way to like really change my life and change my family's life. And the next couple of years, they seemed to be better. My marriage wasn't on fire by any means, but... You know, I was home and I was working on things with Lens and my business began to really take off. I don't know. And we were basically tech, we were basically competitors of Ron. Um, but he continued to mentor me. He had no financial gain, none, by telling me and teaching me everything that he did. But he continued to mentor me. He continued to teach me everything he knew. Including his marketing strategies. <laughs> which were gold. <laughs> but he, I, he just taught me so much about the business. But I'd say probably the single most powerful thing that he taught me about marketing. Was the importance of what he called pre-marketing. And he'd use this method every single off-season. And he'd go out and he'd meet as many body shops as he could possibly meet. And he taught me that forming relationships with body shops prior to a hail event basically took the chase out of hail chasing. Think about it. For years, all companies like mine would do is they would sit and they would wait for a storm to hit. 
never reaching out to body shops to build a relationship. They didn't have to. They'd wait for a storm to hit, and then everybody would hop in their car, and everybody would drive to the same town, and everybody would knock on the same body shop doors. They never much cared about the body shop up until that point, and then they wanted to be your best friend, right? So they'd all get in line. <laughs> this is how it would go. They'd all get in line, and each of them, meh, they might get a few minutes to pitch why their company should be the winner of that contract to the shop owner. And here's how the pitch would go. You ready? Okay, listen carefully. How you doing, Mr. Shop Owner? I'm a 20-year hail guy. Yeah, that was it. <laughs> that was literally it. Folks, if a PDR company, if their entire sales pitch... To this day, if their entire sales pitch is that they're super awesome at fixing dents, you need to run. <laughs> Companies today provide so much more than just high-quality dent repair. Everybody's got the ability to repair heavy damage for the most part. So you want to know what else a hail, I guess a hail management company is, is bringing to your business, right? So Ron identified that our industry was reactive. And he developed a proactive approach. And it was one of the main reasons he had grown DentSmart into a national player in the hail game. One man. So after I learned that, I started doing the same exact thing in New York. I would spend my winter months driving around New York. Snow, sleet, rain. I just had to meet as many shops as I possibly could. I had to shake as many hands as I could. And I grew to really enjoy it, actually. So to this day, I still get fired up for it. Our pre-marketing season. Think of it like this. It's, it's kind of like the playoffs in the NFL. Think of hail season as our Super Bowl. And pre-marketing season is like our playoffs. So everybody's fired up. We're out meeting new shops. We know hail season's right around the corner. It's awesome, and I love it. It's probably my favorite time of the year. <laughs> but anyway, so after a few short years, that strategy helped me to grow my active client list to about 200 body shops across the state of New York. Some were regular hitters every week, bi-weekly, whatever, and others just signed up with us to provide them hail support, which was fine. But the thing is, every year we were busy which is saying something for a small hail company, a hail company that didn't leave New York State. <laughs> Storms would strike and my phone would literally ring off the hook from shops all over the state looking for support. So that's what I did. I'd spend my summer months serving my body shop clients across the state. I'd built a very talented network of technician friends of mine by this time. So I'd, I'd literally take the phone calls and then I call my technicians, send them where they needed to go and they'd handle the repairs. And that's what I did. And then every winter I'd meet more shops and I'd talk to them about hail. I'd fix dents for those shops and make sure that, you know, uh, they were taken care of for the PDR. And then I'd always use, I always loved service calls, right? If a shop would call me for a service call, I loved it because I would take that opportunity to talk to them about best ways to be prepared for a storm. We talked through their their shops, uh, 
workflow processes and I'd learn about their business more and I'd explain my program to them just like Ron was doing with Densmart. And it was wildly successful <laughs> until, <laughs> until the summer of 2014, which was probably my craziest year ever, business and personal. So we got, we got the biggest, probably the biggest hailstorm ever to strike New York State we got in 2014. And a large storm cell had kind of worked its way up through Pennsylvania and completely opened up on eastern New York. It left, like, my estimates from what I heard, 8,000 damaged cars across the region. Johnstown, Amsterdam, um, over into Albany. Shops were so busy, cars were literally driving the, to Albany to get their cars fixed. And this was a market that I pre-marketed hard. <laughs> so this was a market that I had a strong presence in. So I found myself managing over 20 shops throughout the region, managing, coordinating, and staffing for 20 body shops. And by this time in my career, I was pretty good at doing it. I was good at coordinating and staffing. I loved the high volume situations. I mean, talk about exciting. And this year was no different. I did what I always did. I called in my best guys, a group of highly skilled technicians that I'd worked with a lot over the years. These guys were my heavy hitters. These guys were some of the best technicians in the world. And I'd usually call these guys in first and then assess and then plug in other techs later if needed. But this initial group of guys had earned my trust over the years. And I felt a responsibility to them to put cars in front of them. And many were from New York State. And knowing the toll that hail chasing takes on families, I wanted them to be able to work closer to home. I wanted to make that call every year. I wanted to tell them, buddy, you can quit sweating your ass off down in Dallas, Texas. Come home. I've got work. You can be home on the weekends. And I thought they appreciated that. And I thought there was like a mutual respect there. I thought they had my back. <laughs> so I felt I had once again, this year, 2014, left my shops in great hands because my best guys were in town. And that was so crucial to me this year, 2014. So crucial because what most of my clients and my techs didn't know in the beginning was that personally I was going through one of the darkest times in my life. My wife had finally told me, Bob, I'm leaving. And she had told me this probably a month prior to that storm hitting. And I was, I was a mess. I was processing everything. And looking back now, that storm couldn't have come at a worse time for me. So I'd explain that to my guys. I explained to them, guys, if there's ever a year I need you guys, it's this year. I needed that storm. Financially, I needed that storm. And I really needed them to do a great job for these shops so I could focus on the fight I had going on at home. And the first couple months, they went pretty smooth. I'd make the two-hour drive, put me in town every morning by 8. I'd get as much work done as possible. And then I'd leave probably around 4. I'd drive back to Syracuse, work on things at home. 
I was an emotional train wreck. I drive five hours a day listening to marriage boot camp audios, <laughs> hoping and praying to find a way to get my wife to stay. I mean, we had a rocky marriage. Don't get me wrong. I was no, I was no treat. But I always busted my ass for her. I knew things weren't perfect, but come on, how many are? And I thought for the most part we were happy. But like a lot of self-employed businessmen, I had let my business take over my life. And I lost sight of her in the process. I mean, I'd, I'd always done my best to provide for my family. I always told myself, someday things will slow down. And all of this will have been worth it. I would tell her that all the time. But I was kidding myself. And looking back now, I see that she was checking out long before that summer of 2014. That was just the year that she made up her mind that she had finally had enough. So although I wasn't in the best state of mind, I felt I'd put all the necessary pieces in place. I put the best techs for the job in my shops. Everything was supposed to go smooth. But instead of my guys helping me through this and just making great money, they got greedy. They used my moment of weakness as an opportunity to steal from me. They started to plant seeds in some of my clients' heads. Bob's not here every single day. He must not care about you. Really? I was managing 20 shops. I never promised any of my shops that I would be there every single day. I promised I would help them navigate this hailstorm, which is what I was doing. Even under the, even under the best of circumstances, things happen. Issues arise, techs oversleep, cars drop unexpectedly, not to mention over a hundred and some odd other shops in our network who could care less about the storm in eastern New York. They still need my services when they call. But at the end of the day, some shops bought it. And when it was all said and done, most of my, quote, A-team guys had gone AWOL. They managed to flip three shops on me costing me close to a quarter million dollars. And it was only after that storm was complete that the stories started to come out. About techs literally paying cash for new Harleys and keeping them out of sight while I'd come around. And when I was at home at night dealing with my broken marriage, they'd be spending thousands of dollars of my money on bar tabs and expensive dinners, and who knows what else. And it sucked. It was kind of like being stabbed in the back by brothers. But the thing is, I didn't have any signed agreements with them. They were friends of mine. I never required them to sign anything. <laughs> I can't ask them to. I couldn't possibly ask them to sign this. That's going to hurt their feelings. I mean, we're friends. So really, there wasn't a damn thing that I could do. So I... Again, I did all I could do. I powered through. We finished the hail season. Ended up having a pretty good year. Um, the vast majority of our clients were more than pleased, and they remain clients to this day. But it was an expensive lesson for me. And I was left wondering, what could I have done differently? 
When I really began to think and reflect on my company's history, there was a very obvious trend there. Every single year I had tech issues. Every year I would spend countless hours meeting with new shops, building our client list, and then when summer rolled around, it turned into an absolute shit show. It seemed like four or five months out of the year, uh, I was able to build and create and market. But the other part of that year, my business was literally running me into the ground, costing me what I wanted most, my marriage, my time with my family. And I didn't have the luxury of messing up at a shop and then moving on to another part of the country to start over like every other hail company. I made my living year after year in New York State. I recognized that if I didn't make some serious changes, I wasn't going to be around much longer. (laughs) I was letting my business run me into the ground. And it's funny, I remember, it's not really funny, but I remember one summer night, I was sitting home. I was alone. I had just spent the entire day moving my wife and kids into our new place. And this was like my first night at home by myself. And over the years, I had grown to really enjoy, uh, quote unquote, loud house. It's what I, it, to me personally, it, it communicated happiness. Kids running around screaming, having fun. That's, that's what I was used to. And I remember sitting there that night and the silence was deafening. Sat there at my kitchen table for hours, wondering how did I let this happen? How had I gotten so far off track that I didn't even notice that my wife had been seeing my best friend for the better part of a year? As male role models go in life, this man was more like a big brother. He was second to my father, who I loved to death. So how did this happen? I blamed myself. I blamed my business. If I hadn't been running all over the state and babysitting freaking technicians, this never would have happened. That's what I told myself. Maybe I would have noticed the changes in my wife sooner. Maybe I would have been able to fix things. So I did what I do a lot. I called Ron. And this night, Ron explained something to me that changed my life. He said, Bob, this is is what he said to me. You can, he said, Bob, you can model my company to a T. You can pre-market like I do. You can train shops like I do. You can make all the promises in the world to them, but you'll never be able to truly follow through on your promises working with your buddies because your quote unquote friends come in every year and they take advantage. They don't come into town with a genuine interest in helping you serve your clients. They're outsourced subcontractor labor. (laughs) They're their own business. He told me your heart's in the right place, but you're essentially making promises to your clients and then turning the shop over to your competitors. Do you realize that? (laughs) Are Are you really surprised that they don't follow through on your procedures that you put in place? You can't be surprised when they flip a shop or they steal from you. That's what they do. That's who they are. You need to run your business more like a business. And that starts with the technicians you hire. 
And the reason that he had been so successful, this is what he explained to me. The reason I'm so successful, my business has been as successful as it is, is because we train our guys and they work for us exclusively. They follow procedures. They police their own because they're part of a team. And that's what your business is missing. Every tech you bring in wants to tell you why you're wrong, why their way is better, why they're the expert, not you. Yeah, great. You have highly skilled techs, extremely skilled. But what good is a super highly skilled tech that's always stabbing you in the back? That's the question he posed to me. And I remember it. <laughs> I remember it hitting me like a ton of bricks because he was right. All these years, he'd been helping me along where he could, but he couldn't staff my shops for me. He could only do so much. And he had managed to build up this amazing group of men that came in and followed up on the promises that he made to his clients. Men that would literally run through a wall for him. Because he trained them. And don't get me wrong, these guys were very, very highly skilled techs as well. It wasn't like there was a big drop-off there. But in addition to being highly skilled, they were team players. And they were men of integrity. They were men that understood that a team is only as good as its weakest link. Men that understood that getting invited back on the next storm was more important than the money. And I didn't have that. At best, I had a bunch of extremely talented wolves in sheep's clothing. And the hard part for me was realizing that this wasn't an easy fix. Took Ron 20 years to build this group. Took me 10 to build mine. So, I spent the next few years trying to fix things with Linz. But there was just too much hurt on both sides. And we ended up divorced. And to this day, she remains in her new relationship with my ex, best friend, ex in capitals. <laughs> and I proceeded to detach from the business. It took me some time to work through things personally, man. And let's face it, I, I had my bell rung. I was stuck. I was uninspired. I lost my fire. I mean, my network was in place, so every summer, the phone would ring. We'd continue to have good hail years. But deep down, I felt I still lacked the techs that I needed to grow my company. So why bother? It's just going to lead to more problems. I tried cleaning house. I fired all of my technicians, started fresh, brought in new blood. Gave new guys an opportunity. Guys that always wanted to work for me, but couldn't break into my inner circle. But I found out that was just a cheap fix. A band-aid on a bullet hole. Didn't matter how many times I cleaned house, it was a broken business model. And until I fixed my tech problem, I was always going to struggle. And that's where I found myself. So in early 2017, um, I called Ron again <laughs> and I asked him, I had a question for him. I asked him if he'd consider 
the idea of bringing my business, Empire State Hail Company, a business that had 300 body shops in his network, a business that from the outside looking in was extremely successful. I asked him if he'd consider bringing Empire into the fold as a Dent Smart franchise. And he was caught off guard. I remember to this day, he's like, why would you turn your body shop network over to Densmart? You guys have already built a good business. So now you're going to turn it over to me and you're going to pay me royalties? Why? And for me, the answer was simple. The tax. Until I fixed this component, I wasn't going to be able to grow any further. And I needed to address the issue and get or get out of the business. That's what it came to. Fix the issue or get out of the business. So after a number of conversations, I'm happy to say we finalized a deal to officially become Densmart of New York, the 20th state in Densmart's growing company. Ron and the other two founders, Dave and Debbie Haxton, all three of them, class acts, best in the business, they welcomed us with open arms. And we couldn't be happier about it. And the coolest thing is today, the pre-training that Ron taught me, the pre-marketing strategies that I learned from Ron, it's evolved into this entirely new system that's being utilized by over 1,600 body shops nationwide. And we call it the Dent Smart Ready System. And it combines all the necessary information and training needed for a shop that wants to run an efficient, but more importantly, a profitable hail event. And the best thing about it is this system is backed by 100% DentSmart ARC certified technicians. Best in the business, baby. The missing piece of the puzzle is in place in New York. And our goal is to meet as many shops as possible to implement this system so that you guys don't go through what I went through. So for body shops that might think they're ready for the next storm, know with 100% certainty that they are DentSmart ready for the next storm. Pretty cool, right? But here's the thing. We don't work with everybody, and I never have, even with Empire. I believe that to pull off a successful hail event, you need the right PDR company, using the right PDR technicians, deploying the right hail management system, partnered with the right collision shops. You need that. That's the equation. And if you don't have that, you're setting yourself up for problems. So... Our approach is that we'd love to meet with as many shops as possible and see if we're fit to work together. It's that simple. If we're not, we're not. But at least we explore that opportunity. All right. So there's my story. <laughs> you got it all. <laughs> I'm grateful for everybody that stuck through. <laughs> um, next week, I'm going to talk more about the vision for this podcast, what I plan to talk about in the coming weeks. Um, here's a little hint. I'm only going to talk about hail say 50% of the time. And I'll explain my reasoning for that in episode two. I'll expand on that a little bit. So if you connect with this podcast, I'd ask you to subscribe, share it with your friends. Um, and I can't wait to see where this journey leads. My plan is to bring you along for the ride. So that's it. All right. So take care, everybody. Thank you for listening to the Crush Hail Academy podcast. I am your host, Bob Argyle. Make it a great day. Peace.